I, I remember being a little kid and loving my grandmother Chanel number five. I remember loving the scent of roses. She had rose bushes in her backyard. And I, re- I, I remember shoving my nose like as far into the rose as I possibly could and hearing Nana say, be careful, there's thorns on those, be careful. What's up, y'all? It's Julie Global Wilson, and you are tuned into The Color Files. All right, so today's guest is a pioneer, an innovator, and an entrepreneurial inspiration. I am talking about the Lisa Price. Lisa is the founder of the extremely successful beauty company, Carol's Daughter. I know you guys know what Carol's Daughter is. What started off as a hobby of creating fragrances and body products in her Brooklyn kitchen has flourished into a multi-million dollar business. Get those coins, sis. I love that Lisa's success story is not the typical tale of someone looking to fulfill a void in an overlooked market. She really started creating products before she even realized there was a demand for them. The evolution of Carol's daughter was so natural, and that's what makes me love it even more. It was her true calling. We chatted a bit about Lisa's life pre-Beauty Boss when she used to work in TV production. Really fun fact, she worked on the last two seasons of The Cosby Show. That is like insane and so iconic in so many ways. Of course, we also spoke about the transition from TV production to business ownership, which was not the easiest. Think about this. Lisa started Carol's Daughter in 1996, before social media was even a thing, before you could reach out to an audience through technology like that. I mean, Sis was printing flyers at Kinko's. She didn't even have a website for Carol's Daughter. It's truly insane to think about. We also had a very real conversation about the backlash she received when L'Oreal bought Carol's Daughter. And we get to hear Lisa's thoughts from a business perspective and also a personal one. We had a legit full circle moment as Lisa reminisced about the huge role that Essence played in boosting her career when we featured her in a 1997 issue of the magazine. Sometimes us editors don't realize how powerful our words and work can be, and this moment reminded me of that. I'm truly thankful. Lisa holds a really special place in my heart as well because she's actually one of the first people that I spilled my guts to when I found out I was pregnant with my son Orion a little over five years ago. I mean, we told her before we told some of our families and friends. Like, she knew before my parents. I was just so overjoyed in that moment that I just had to tell her. And that memory is something that I'll have forever in my heart. She's real family, y'all. Well, enough gushing for now. I want you guys to listen to our Kiki. Let's get right into the episode. Okay, guys, I, this is just such a blessing and so full circle that I'm sitting here with the one and only Lisa Price of Carol's Daughter. I have loved you for so long and I find it like such a blessing that through this career, I've been able to not only like 
talk to and interview people that I admire and like love in the industry, but like actually become like friends with and, and, and create a sisterhood with. So mm-hmm. I'm so happy you're here and we get to talk and <laughs> chat and do all the things. Yes. Yes. I, I love that. I've made so many relationships in this beauty world. You know, it was so foreign to me at the beginning. And I remember being very intimidated meeting beauty editors like, oh, gosh, they're going to be perfect. Um, and <laughs> so many of you are friends. And, you know, I watch people have babies and I watch people get married and, you know, get the yeah. dog and all of that stuff. And, yeah. you know, I. I, when I think back on when I used to be afraid and nervous to have a conversation with people, I'm like, what is that? What was that? I know. <laughs> I think about that sometimes too. And I'm like, we're all humans, right? Like mm-hmm. no matter what your level of fame or notoriety is, like we're all just humans mm-hmm. and like we all get nervous and all get, um, I don't know, and have imposter syndrome and all of that. <laughs> but sure. do you know that you're a whole entire icon? <laughs> Like, do you wake up in the morning? You're like, I'm Lisa Price. Like, I and don't. Like, I started Carol's daughter. Like, and I everyone don't. knows Carol's daughter. <laughs> I don't think of myself that way. Occasionally, people remind me of that, um, but I don't think of myself that way. No, no, never. Mm-mm. There ha- has there been a moment where you're like, ooh, like I did something. I mean, I know you just had your 25th. Anniversary last year, last year, last mm-hmm. year, your 25th anniversary. I cannot believe I wasn't able to make it down to DC because guys, if you do not understand this woman, you had your event, your mm-hmm. celebration event at the Smithsonian, excuse me, mm-hmm. the African-American museum yes. of history. Like they don't do that for everyone. Like no, that's they don't. crazy. They don't. And when, when it was first proposed, I was like, yeah, they're not going to say You know, like I didn't even let myself get excited about it. And I think it took us three months to get an answer. And then the answer was yes. And I was like, oh, God, this is like really going to (laughs) happen. And you're actually in the museum as like an example of, you know, entrepreneurship and like that sort of thing. So I would think it would be an easy ask or an easy yes for them, at least since like you're already being honored. Because it's a government building there there was protocol that they had to go through and then there was protocol that we had to follow okay. you know to have the event there so um it wasn't a slam dunk but they were very very happy that they were able to work it out and it was it was wonderful and then Carlene Roy oh of gosh. the Vanity Group she Carlene, did the part out she is just magical and she created museum exhibits within the party of like a booth when I used to vend in Brooklyn at the yeah. African Street Festival or Your at BAM. Stoop. She recreated the stoop and Your kitchen. there were people who came to the party who thought those were actual museum exhibits. I mean, because she's that good. Exactly. Yes. And they came back to me later like, so how long are your, is your display going to be up? Because we want to go back. And and I was like, yeah, no, that came down last night. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> it was just for the party. That was, that was, that was you know, decoration. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that had to be a moment where you were like a pinch myself moment. Where you're like, oh, I've absolutely. done this now for 25 years. I'm doing it at the Smithsonian. And mm-hmm. I'm surrounded by all these people who I know and I love and like have supported me from the start. When we originally planned the party, 
in our minds, we thought that everything would take place in one area. So there was a presentation portion that was about 45 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And then when the museum realized what we were doing, they said, well, you know, the area where we're going to have you, it's not really conducive to that. People are not going to be able to hear. We suggest that you use the Oprah Winfrey Theater for that part. So we, we, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we did that. Um, And so I go for rehearsal and I'm standing at the podium and I'm going over notes and someone says to me, "Um, no pressure, but just wanted to mention some of the people who've stood where you're standing because the theater is still very new. And, you know, they mentioned Barack Obama. They mentioned Michelle Obama. And I'm just I literally got weak in the knees and I was like, okay, you can't just like, you you can't just say that that. later. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like now I'm really scared. You know, so we do the whole event and, you know, I do the speech and everything that I have to do and everything goes very well. The following week, I'm back at the Smithsonian for an event with Oprah And then I sat in the audience and watched her stand where I was standing. Now, I think she had stood there before, too. She was one of those people since it's her theater. But it was very surreal to sit in the audience and look at her standing where I was standing a week prior. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. That truly is. But 25 years. 25 years. Yeah. That's really incredible, especially in an industry like this I, I feel like beauty can be very flash in the pan like you come mm-hmm. in make some money get out or like people just stop you know loving the brand but mm-hmm. people have consistently loved this brand for so long how does that feel it it's pretty amazing honestly um it's uh it's not what you expect when you start it especially when you're starting something and you really have no reference point, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm curious now when people start brands because there were brands that came before, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you have a a roadmap to look at, or you say, I don't want to be like that brand. I want to be like that brand, or I want to do this differently. And I didn't even know that that's what I was doing. You know, I started, there was no clear competition for you. You weren't like, I'm going to go after what this brand's doing. And there was no clear anything. It was, it was, I make these things and people like them and I'm going to keep making them. And then it was kind of like, Oh, I'm a beauty brand. Oh, I'm one of the only beauty brands that kind of caters to the, Oh, this is an underserved. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, it's like this discovery of your importance Mm -hmm. as you're in the process of doing it. Right. You know, so you don't even get to think about how many years you're going to be around. You're you're just focused on. All right. We got to do this work. We right. got to serve her. And it was pre like Instagram and like yeah. Twitter and like all of these social media platforms that have honestly really helped a lot of these brands become as big as they are mm-hmm. because you just you know, they're so shareable, you know, everyone's just scrolling all day. Right. No one was scrolling to discover Carol's daughter. This it, was grassroots, totally grassroots. And, you know, going to a Xerox machine to 
print catalogs wow. and folding and stapling and you, like you were at Staples, girl. When's the last time Kinko's. anyone's been to Kinko's? Kinko's was my best friend. Wow. <laughs> Every time I had an event or something, and I had to have cards or because there there was nothing digital. Mm-hmm. Everything was paper, but, and it cost a fortune. And what was like the big break? Right. When when did were you able to stop going to Kinko's and like somehow when did like the angel investment come in or when did it happen where you were like, okay, this is like a business where I can like quit my day job and do this? Well, I I had a few of those moments, honestly, because I started from such a, a grassroots place that there were there were several like, oh, okay, this I can keep doing this. So as far as deciding to quit the day job, that happened when my oldest, Forrest, was about to be born. I started like looking at my budget and my work hours mm-hmm. and I realized, okay, if I keep working, I'm just going to hand my paycheck over to the babysitter because childcare is real expensive. And the way that I worked then I was working at a television job Monday through Thursday. Um, shout out to the Cosby show because you were working in the Cosby show, right? I wasn't working on the Cosby show at that point. I at started point. my TV career on the Cosby show and I worked there for two we're years. We're going to come back to that in a second because that's iconic all <laughs> in itself. But but by the time I left to have Forrest, I was working on a show called Our Home on uh-huh. Lifetime. Okay. And so it had pretty manageable hours as, as TV shows go. So I worked Monday through Thursday, kind of 10 to seven ish. I would come home, work for a couple of hours on the company. And then I worked on the business Friday to Sunday. So when I had a baby, it was like, okay, I, I can't really, really, I can't really do that. So then I said, all right, let me see what happens if I stay home and run the business from home and be a mom. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up quitting that that was that was that moment um and then i had you know moments where like essence magazine when i was pregnant with ennis so second second pregnancy julia chance Mm -hmm. did a piece on me it was a page called people to know Uh and i had been in essence before and not really anything like big happened it was like oh i saw you in essence you know or i might get some extra phone calls this was a half page mm-hmm. about me and the brand. And I remember them coming to the house and taking a picture and I was pregnant and I was hoping that I looked cute standing by my, by my fireplace in my little office. And the magazine comes out the day after Ennis was born wow. and I'm in the hospital recovering. I had had a C-section and Gordon, my husband says to me, you know, the phone is ringing a lot. The Carol's daughter phone. Like, I don't know what's going on, but it's ringing a lot. I was like, oh, well, when I get home, I'll hear the messages. I come home with the baby and literally I hear ring, ring, ring. Then I know it goes to voicemail. Uh-huh. Ten seconds go by ring. And I'm like, wait, it doesn't stop. Like it's. You know, so then I check the voicemail. That's how I found out it could get filled. A voicemail could get filled. You were like, well, it had never happened before. Wow. You're like, you have 117 new messages. I was like, wait, what? Wow. Everything changed. 
from that half page article. I had to hire people. I had to print new catalogs. My mailing list shot up by 6,000 names in 14 That's so days. Cool. That's such a cool um, essence story, you know? And I think sometimes, you know, us as editors, we think to, you know, we're, we're in the work, right? You mm-hmm. put on your blinders. You're like, let me do this story. Let me. And sometimes you don't understand also the power that you have, yeah. that you wield when you do a story or there is a mention. And it is kind of cool knowing that, you know, you can help break someone or you mm-hmm. um someone's career you can help them you know push them into the next level um so that's really cool yeah it, wow. it was it was pretty amazing i can't imagine what that would be like today right you know because then you would have just put up a website but it right. was an 800 number and you had wow. to talk to somebody to get a catalog to place an order you know so it was manageable you didn't even have a carolsdaughter.com like no where people could go no. and like order. It was, the- it was 1997. Wow. I, d- I didn't have a dot com until 1999 and there that weren't that so many cool. dot coms in 97. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It that was an 800 so cool. number. That was it. Wow. <laughs> okay. Wait, let's go back to your time in TV because mm-hmm. I think that that's a cool fun fact that people don't know about you is that you worked in television and you also worked on one of the most iconic shows in history, yeah. the Cosby show. Yeah. What was that like? Well, working in television production was phenomenal for me. I didn't realize it until I got there that that's what I should have been doing all along. Mm -hmm. It it enabled me to be creative Mm -hmm. without the pressure of being the person in the front being creative. Like I could be creative in the background, which was cool. Um, I am a bit of an introvert, but I have a really strong work ethic and working in production you have to manage yourself. You're not in a corporate environment where you have a supervisor and a manager and a director. You you don't have all of that. You have your tasks, you have to do them. And the better you do them, the more likely you are to get hired for something else later. So it worked with my personality. And then it became training for being an entrepreneur, which I didn't know was going to happen after that, Mm because I got accustomed to late nights, early mornings, working on weekends, working holidays. So when I had to do that for my business, it wasn't this huge sacrifice. It wasn't this whole new lifestyle I needed to learn. It's like, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. Two hours sleep. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. Let's go. You know, (laughs) but, um, working on that show in particular was pretty remarkable because I adored it. Mm -hmm. I watched it every Thursday. I recorded it because this is before we had DVRs on VHS, VHS tapes. I recorded it. it for my brother. When he would come home from college, we'd watch it together. And I was actually the show Bible backup at the, at the show. So a show that's on for so many years, they Mm -hmm. keep a Bible so that if they mention that Claire's cousin is coming to visit, right. Mm -hmm. They got to make sure that Claire has cousins. Did we ever say that Claire was an only child? Cause then she can't suddenly have a cousin that shows up. So one episode, the writers are writing and they want to write about something with Rudy and they wanted to call Rudy's full name. And they're coming up with some story as to why her nickname is Rudy, because she's a girl. So they were like making up a story. And I was like, no, that Rudy is short for Rudith. And they're like, what? 
what's Rudith? That's not a name. I said, well, that's her name. Her name is Rudith Lillian Huxtable. And so I'm tell, you know, telling the writer, well, how do you, how do you know this? Is right. it in the Bible? I, I said, I don't know if it's in the Bible, but that's her name. You know, so then they go and they look in the Bible and the Bible says character Rudy Huxtable. It doesn't say Rudith Lillian Huxtable. Well, how do you know her name is Rudith Lillian Huxtable? I was like, all right, it was the episode where she writes the fairy tale and it's part like, you know, cartoon. And oh, like right. Part I remember real. that. Yeah. And, and she's, when she's about to read the fairy tale, she says by Rudith Lillian Huxtable. They go to archives, right? Because nobody's believing that this girl's name right. is Rudith. They go to the archives to look for the the show. They find the show. They, you know, take the tape, pop it in. She says her name is Rudith Lillian Huxable. They never question me again. I know that's right. They were like, <laughs> um, whatever Lisa says. <laughs> Anytime is there was Bible a question, what's Theo's middle name? And I'd be at my desk, Aloysius. You know. <laughs> So you are like, you would be the champion of any type of Cosby show trivia like game. I, I don't know how up on it I am now, but back then for sure, for I sure. Mean, Cause that's I, incredible. I lived it. I, I, so when I got to stand in the Huxtable kitchen for mm. my first table read, I had to pinch myself. I, I was like touching the counter. Like, wow. Oh my gosh. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about like being on that set. Like how cool that was just a true moment in time. It really in was culture. That mm-hmm. was incredible. So were you dreaming up Carol's daughter while you were like doing all of this? It like- was, it was my hobby because what happened when I shifted and went to work on that show I, for the first time in my life, I was actually working somewhere that I liked. Mm-hmm. So work was fun and mm-hmm. it wasn't drudgery. It wasn't have to. And I was passionate about it and I enjoyed it. So when I came home, I wasn't coming home to escape and forget and like, Oh, right. I, I, it's the weekend. I can relax. So I think I was more open to being creative and like having different ideas because that stress of hating my job was just gone. Mm-hmm. And I began to experiment making fragrances and then making body products. Mm-hmm. So I used to share them with people at the show and, mm-hmm. and some of the people who were on the show, but it was just a hobby at that time. I didn't sell until years later. Cause I was on Cosby, uh, for the last two seasons. So it ended in 92, early 92. And I didn't officially start Carol's Daughter until 96. Got it. Got it. And you, speaking of fragrances, that's kind of been your like love, right? I mean, oh, yeah. I think everyone knows not only the, um, th- how amazing your products are, but how good they smell. They just like are delicious. And we've talked about this before and how mm-hmm. you are just like obsessed with fragrance. And I so am. am I too. I love a good fragrance, a good perfume, eau de parfum, mm-hmm. like all of that. Tell us a little bit about that, because I think that that, you know, a lot of people get into it because they're like, I just really want like love skincare and like, you know, or I couldn't manage my my curls or like whatever. But I love the fact that you were like, I just love scent and like what that, yeah. you know, evokes for me, fragrances sometimes more important than the clothes I'm wearing. Mm -hmm. Um, But definitely a part of the picture, but sometimes it can be more important than that. And I, I remember being a little kid 
and loving my grandmother's Chanel number five. Mm -hmm. I remember loving the scent of roses. She had rose bushes in her backyard. And I I, I remember shoving my nose like as far into the rose as I possibly could and hearing Nana say, be careful. There's thorns on those. Be careful. I didn't even think about the thorns. I just I just wanted the petals to just cover my whole face. Um, but when I, when I got older, I would spend time in the perfume aisles at like Mm -hmm. Macy's at King's Plaza in Brooklyn. My friends would be looking at clothes. I was sniffing perfume. And then when I was in my early twenties, I read this article about Prince with whom I have been obsessed since 1970. That's my guy. That's your guy. That's my guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I read that he kept fragrances on his bureau and he would put different scents on different parts of his body and then the combination would create this like unique thing and right. i was whenever like, you, he would walk or his yeah. arm or his leg moved you get a different scent right yeah and it's called like scent shadowing and chanel number five in the boots oh. so that when he was entertaining the- and removed the boots they would and never like never Chanel's have stinky feet. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm doing that. I'm going to put some perfume in my shoes. Right. <laughs> so I, I just started to figure out, okay, how do I do this like unique scent thing? So it started from a selfish place. I'm mm-hmm. going to make these fragrances for me. And then I wanted the ancillary products to go with the fragrance because being a fragrance person, I know fragrance lasts when it's layered. So I needed the moisturizer to go with the scent and it didn't exist. So I had to make it. Yeah, (laughs) That's amazing. And thus the brand began. I love that. Okay. Speaking of the brand, we've got to talk about 2014, right? Mm -hmm. When you sold to L'Oreal, right? What was your thought process around that? And how did you feel about kind of the outcome of it? Right? Because there was a lot of discussion around this. It was like, you know, people were up in arms. Some people were sad. They were like, no, we got to keep it in the black community. But I don't think a lot of people think about the bigger picture too, about what that means as an entrepreneur to have a major company want to invest, I would say, in such a big way into your dream. So tell us a little bit about that moment. What I learned going through that process, there were just so many things, but the biggest lesson that I learned was that people in general don't realize what it takes to grow a business and they don't understand business. So even though we had always been open about having investors and things like that, people didn't understand what that meant. So Mm -hmm. the assumption was I woke up one day and I had the option of continuing to run the brand privately and independently owned Or I could take a check and just hand it over to somebody else. And either way, financially, everything is pretty much the same. And I just made the choice because that one was a bigger check. Um, And it's not that at all. Mm -hmm. When you have investors, when you have equity partners, your equity partners look to exit. And the way that they exit basically means they get their money back that they put in. So, and they, 
hope to get it back with a little bit more on top, right? Exactly. Like they put some in, but they right. want to get back. I mean, that's what everyone times. wants to do. Right. Like investing in a good idea. And right. they're saying, I'm doing this because I believe in you that right. when it fully blows, I'm going to get not only the money I gave you, but, but some, even more. Some more. Um, so unless like money fell from the sky, I didn't personally have money to pay these people back. So I always knew that there would be an exit. And I always knew that that exit would involve selling to another brand. I just didn't realize that no one else was there with me. Um, And my goal was I want to sell it to someone that understands the brand and the consumer and what I've built because this is a lot of work and I want to be able to stay involved so that everything goes in the right direction. But I didn't have any shame in, mm-hmm. in doing it. Because um, again, you know, business, right. I think it's that la- that lack of knowledge around right. business, like you said, but also in the sense of, you know, like you said, you didn't abandon the company. Right. And I think a lot of people might've thought, oh, if she's abandoning the company, people it's not going to be black that. owned yeah. anymore. Like, how could you do this? People's, and like, people will see me and they'll say, so what are you doing now? Cause they think <laughs> like I live on an Island somewhere and I'm like, well, I just got back from work, but <laughs> <laughs> right. You have an office. I have an office and I go to work every day. But um, when when I sold the brand, the work that had to be done to get to the place where that could even happen was Herculean. Just Mm -hmm. like it was intense work, not just for me, but for my team as well. And it was personal growth as well as business growth. And. I think there was also an assumption that things just got too hard and I took the easy way out and yeah, okay, you can buy it. And it doesn't work that way because if, if a brand is failing or broken or dysfunctional or something, someone's not going to buy it. They don't, they don't, it's not like a house that you're going to buy and flip, flip, right. Um, Well, you're the secret sauce, right? And they want to invest in something that's thriving. They can't have Carol's daughter without you to thrive. I I think that that would have been their biggest mistake that we're just going to buy it. And and then we want you to have nothing to do with it. They actually weren't much interested in it if I wasn't there. So I don't, I don't even think that that would have happened. Um, but you know, so I went from being in this place where I was super proud and, you know, had worked so, so hard to get to this point. And isn't this amazing and having my family proud of me and my team proud and happy to just being attacked in social media and called all kinds of names and sell out and all this stuff. I remember this. It was, it was and a it lot. Was, it was, it was like, wait, wait, guys, uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm still here. Right. I, I still live in Bed-Stuy. <laughs> like, right. I'm still me. <laughs> and know? I'm still a part of the brand because yeah. I think it was that. I think people love the brand so much and to think that you wouldn't, you weren't going to be there with yeah. the formulations and making sure that mm-hmm. yes, there's this big corporate white company that they weren't going to whitewash this brand that they love so much that right. you were still there, that your team was still there making sure that it pushed forward, but you needed the investment to make sure that it could become bigger. And I think as 
a woman of color and as someone who represents, you know, a voice of of the community that, you know, at the end of the day, knowing all of these facts now, mm-hmm. you know, I've known them for a while, but like people understanding it more and more that that's ultimately what you want. You yeah. want to be able to grow your company and your business and your idea into something that can have generational wealth for your family, can make sure you provide, you know, jobs mm-hmm. for so many people. It's not not just, you know, let me just keep this small. Like, how can we grow this and how can we make it bigger? And I think so many of us have these ideas that we want to grow to this to this level, right. to your and we, empire we, level. We're, we also make things harder on ourselves in some way, because if if our white counterparts create a business and sell, you know, when Instagram gets sold to Facebook or something, it's hooray. It's right job well done you you right. did great you know you did great you got you made that yeah. that that business into a multi-million dollar thing right. and someone wanted to buy that 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 idea that was and, so small and at one point we don't get to own as many things and i understand it we we covet and we yes. don't want anybody to have it so i think we're going to have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because it's going to take time for us to build enough wealth that we end up selling to each other, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. So you, so you have a situation like rich being in yeah. a position to buy essence, right? That that's not the norm for us yet. Right. And but he it'll had get to there. sell his company right. to, to Unilever to, right. in order to get to, the money mm-hmm. to then invest in the companies that he's right. invested in this, you know, new voices fund, $150 million fund to like invest in yep. black owned businesses. It's because he was able to get the capital from that sale of right. Sundial. So you, it's, it's chess, not checkers, right? <laughs> you gotta, you, mm-hmm. you gotta be out here understanding to your point, business and figuring out what we can do in order to grow our wealth and our ownership. Because right. ultimately, yes, we want to own it. We want to do all those things, but it's nice to know that you're there. Mm-hmm. You're still there. And Y'all, the, she's and still we, there. And we can't, <laughs> you know, kind of slam each other either, because even if the scenario was after 22 years, I've decided that I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. If that had been the scenario, why should I be punished for right. gathering some wealth for myself and my family right. after I gave 22 years to something? You shouldn't. You shouldn't exactly. feel bad about that. That and wasn't the story, anyone- but... In your shoes would have done the same thing, especially to see like, again, an idea start from your kitchen Mm -hmm. and come to a point where people want to invest that type of money into it, I think is just so, um, you should be so proud. I mean, Oh, I I know. I mean, like I am, that is incredible. I mean, I got, I got over the, you know, the the Twitter (laughs) assault within a week, right? you know, but definitely very proud. And I wouldn't change anything that I did at all. And I think now people understand that you're still there Mm -hmm. and tell us about that. Like what's new, what's coming, what's going (laughs) on at Carol's daughter. Are there things that we should get like excited for there things that you're still doing that we should just keep pouring into there. There's really great stuff that's coming next year. Um, One thing in particular, I can't leak it yet, but I'm super excited because it, it is very revolutionary. Um, and I haven't been this excited in a minute. So mm. this is, it's a good one. Um, but, I'm you know, Black Vanilla is is still mm-hmm. 
going like gangbusters and hair milk. Um, we're in the process of giving it a new scent, like bit by bit oh. in the products. Um, is that the number one skew? What's your biggest selling? Black Vanilla is the number one really? franchise. Yeah. I use that on Orion's locks. Mm. He really the loves it. The leave-in, the spray? Uh-huh. The spray and the shampoo. Uh-huh. The shampoo. I love Manoy. I just, that whole collection. I, I'm obsessed my... with Manoy. Manoy is number one in prestige for sure. Um, and it's the number one shampoo and conditioner on HSN the last time I checked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's my favorite. I yeah. I really love Manoy. Yeah. Know what product? Do you still do it? What is that? I think I asked you this before too. It was like an after sun situation. It was kind of like semi soft. It would like get hard, like if it was too cold or like warm. And you would I don't know. It was like you. I think you um you marketed it as like an after sun thing or something like it, that. It, it was just smelled so good. It was and, a sun thing, but yeah. it, it's it's not in the line anymore. I but I did it for Christmas for Christmas gifts. Okay. So you probably got the Christmas gift yes. with it. But we have a Manoy SPF oil that sprays on. Okay. That's phenomenal. I'll get that too. But yeah. Would you like to bring that other thing back? I don't know Look if it. I I'm can like bring shooting it back, my shot, but I can I can hook you up. It's so good. The Lisa's Kitchen thing is is real. Gelée de Soleil. Yes. Yeah. That. I love that. Yeah. The browning oil. Yes. The browning oil. Yeah. I loved it. I did too. I did it too. It just didn't do as well. I was only it one did, buying it. It didn't do as well. Um, it had like its cult following, but it wasn't like universal. And then the formula itself is technically something that isn't considered to be stable. Because if you have it out at the beach, it might be more liquidy and then you right. get it home and it thickens up a it bit, was... which I don't have a problem with. But um, right. And sometimes it's a kind of grainy would like get little. But yeah. I, I loved it. Yeah. Because it would melt favorite. in your yes. hands. See, that's the cocoa good. butter. Yeah. yeah. You have to heat it to a certain point where it doesn't crystallize and all of this stuff. I mean, but well, whatever. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> I love that you speaking of your like holiday gifts. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's some like editors that like listen to this, but for anyone else out there, the majority of you that aren't in the industry, <laughs> Lisa always sends out a Christmas gift of like handmade items from her kitchen. Like you go back, you go old school oh, and like sure. create like in, oils in my kitchen and-, and we make it by hand. And it's usually me. And sometimes my son helps, my daughter helps, um, my friend Manuela helps. And yeah, you know you're like loved and on the VIP list when you see like during Christmas time, like on Instagram, when people like like take pictures of it and like come on, Lisa Price like moment, and you're like yeah, like you're in the club, like she loves you, she made this for you for Christmas. It's like it's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, I'm planning it's- this year's now. Oh, I cannot wait. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, so before we went live, I talked about this story, and we always talk about it when we see each other because it's so special to me. But Lisa was one of the first people who knew I was pregnant with Orion before anyone else in the world. Like me and my husband knew and we hadn't told our families or anything. I was just (laughs) so excited. But I had gotten my first ultrasound. And um, that night after the ultrasound, I had a speaking engagement and I was on a panel with Lisa and Michaela Angela Davis, Mm -hmm. two women who I love and I consider sisters. And I just could not keep it in. I was like so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to show you something. And I pulled out my journal 
journal uh-huh. and I opened up the journal. I don't think I even said anything. I just no. showed you guys the picture. And of course, both of you being mothers, like <laughs> squealed. And it was like the best moment. When, I just, when you like, were taking out your journal, I thought you were going to show us something that you wrote or, you know, like maybe you were drawing or something. And, you know, so I'm like waiting to read or whatever. And then I just see the sonogram and I'm like, oh, my God. It's a baby. It was so special. And I just hold it so dear to my heart that like we were able to share that moment. And now this little boy is five years old. You have kids. You have three children of your own. Mm -hmm. What is it like to be a mom and be an entrepreneur and be like the head of this whole Carol's Carol's daughter empire with like three children and a husband? Like let's not let's let's not act like being a wife isn't like a big thing either. You know, I think sometimes we we just harp on the motherhood but Mm -hmm. like being a wife too and and showing up for your spouse is a lot as well so what is your family unit look like and like how does that help you be the lisa price we all know in the world Um, well, there, there's, there's Gordon, my husband, and then there's three children. Um, Forrest is now 23. Ennis will be 22 very soon. Um, early October is his birthday and Becca is 13. And there's also Roscoe, the the dog. dog. He'll be four in November. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, can't leave out Roscoe, but my family has always kind of kept me sane. You know, like I, I, I felt like I would kind of like go away from home and I would have these amazing experiences and the time that I was building the brand. You know, I got to launch a fragrance with Mary J. Blige. Like not many people get to say something like that. Um, We flew to Los Angeles together on a private jet. It was the first time I had ever been in a private jet, you know, but my head never got too big because when Mm -hmm. I came back home, I was still mommy and I had to make oatmeal and, you know get somebody ready for school or whatever. So always kept things in balance and reminded me also of what was important um, and how special home is. Uh, I I used to feel guilty about being away, um, but I think because I've done it for so long and my children are the ages that they are, I know that they have survived thus far. Um, And when when they got older, I began to take them on certain business trips when I could, because I thought it would be a good way for them to see what mom does when she goes away. That's really important. You know, especially when as a family, whenever you got on a plane, you were going on vacation. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want them to think that I was like running away from them and going to sit by a pool, you know, and not taking them with me. So Forrest would go on a trip, then Ennis would go on a trip. After a while, they weren't interested anymore. I was like, hey, I'm going to go to Chicago for like a day and a half. You want to go? Oh, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm speaking at a conference. No, it's okay. (laughs) I don't have to go. It's all right. (laughs) That's cool, mom, but not really. <laughs> oh, I love that. Even though I'm like, that is just like the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> and now Becca's getting to that age where I can I can start to take her, but she's mm-hmm. a little picky too. Yeah. She's like, Well, where are you going? Are there gonna there. be any kids there my age? Do they have good Wi Fi? You know, oh my like gosh, that's so hilarious. Like, really? But you know what? They're keeping it real. 
That's true. Keep it real. That's true. They learn from their mama. This is like, true. You are a keep it real queen, which I love. <laughs> like your Instagram. If you're not following Lisa on Instagram, you should. It's I am Lisa Price, right? Yes. Um, your Instagram is like you're in my head all the time. <laughs> like your memes come right on time. Like I don't know what it is, but like you encapsulate like everyone's mood at all times. And which I think is really cool to see someone who, you know, everyone, you know, like you're just like, you're, you know, Lisa Price of Carol's daughter. And like, you're just like moving and shaking and doing all the things in this like big businesswoman. And, but then you're like, you look at your Instagram and like, you're so real. <laughs> it's so like, but I'm having a crazy day yeah. and I don't feel like Mm-mm. great or someone's trying it all the way on my time. And like, I'm going to let them not let them know, but like, let the world know that yeah. like I'm in a mood. And I feel like I'm a, I'm a lot like that too, because I don't want people just to see the glitz and the glamour. And yeah. like, you know, we're real people. I, I had someone say to me once about like, how I should curate my Instagram better that when people decide whether or not they're going to follow you, they go to your page and they look at the the grid. Mm-hmm. And if your grid isn't like artistic or appealing, you could lose someone. Oh, and then I thought, okay, like I understand that right. I get it, but then that wouldn't be me. And then they shouldn't follow me then. Yeah. Like, cause I'm not, I'm not going to be artistic and I'm not going to frame the photo and the same color border on it. Each like, it's just, it's just not going to happen because I don't have that kind of life right now. If I started another brand, let's say, Mm -hmm. right. You know, cause the Carol's daughter brand is not managed by me. It's, you know, managed by a team Mm -hmm. and the Carol's daughter brand does have a certain look and feel like that makes sense to me. But, but this is yours. This, this is, is mine. your voice. Yeah. This yeah. is what you're so going is, through. This is your... So you might see a cat, you know, or, <laughs> right? <laughs> because the cat was funny. There was right. a cat that, a while back when, um, on Game of Thrones, when, when the grandmother, like Cersei's grandmother uh-huh. or something, and she had that little hat on, the actress that was playing okay. the grandmother, and they had a cat <laughs> with that hat, and, and they made like... a meme. Oh my God. I, I rolled on the floor when I saw that. People resonated with it. It and got you were a like, ton I need of to likes. But yeah, I had to share the cat. But I love that. That you're just gonna share what you're gonna share and yep. like you're gonna you're gonna deal with it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I was at your fiftieth birthday party, which 55th. was fifty oh, fifth. Yeah. Excuse me, fifty yes, fifth birthday I didn't party. Do one for my fiftieth. Fifty fifth, which was amazing it was just a room full of just love and everyone there was just we were all dressed in white right Mm -hmm. we were all dressed in white and it was just so much fun and I remember you introducing two women right Mm -hmm. that you had met through Instagram. Instagram yeah and I just was like that is so real and authentic like that just shows you I mean doubling down on the fact that I was just saying how real and authentic you are on mm-hmm. Instagram that you cultivated these friendships mm-hmm. with these women on Instagram and they were at your 50th birthday celebration which is so beautiful yeah. that like you're not like this person that's like I'm up here and you're down there like when you connect with someone you connect with someone yeah. and their spirit and if that means it's through social media it's through mm-hmm. social media if it's face to face it's face to face yeah we we totally connected and um it it was great and they're they're two friends and I and I have other people as well that I've met on Instagram it's girl Layla 
that I followed from when she was 12 years old. And I'm totally friends with her mom. I mean, I'm not friends with Layla in the same way. I guess I'm like an auntie to her. Uh But her mother was the one curating her feed and posting everything. Uh But she just showed up on my Explore page and she was so interesting. And then when mom like realized, wait a minute, is Carol's daughter talking to my daughter? Is this like Carol's daughter? Right. I love so that. So now they're they're friends as as well. So yeah. And I and I actually got to strike up a a friendship with Lena Waith before oh, yeah. she she was as huge as she is I now. Know. She was she, she was a writer, but I think her handle back then was Hillman Grad. That's so interesting. And she was just so witty and, and yeah. she would talk, you know, talk back. Like if you commented, she would comment back and we, you know, talk, would talk to each other on Instagram all the time. And then after Essence Fest mm-hmm. one year, I was in the airport and I saw her walking by. So I got up and I walked over to her and I was like, I don't know when this will ever happen again, but we're actually standing here. And she turns out, she goes, oh my God. <laughs> That's so cool. And it just shows you to be, you know, to be authentic and, um, and to be real to everyone. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That, you know, before there's someone in the public's eye, you know, they're always, there, there's a soul and a spirit there. Right. And like, and then I think you see it. You know, I think I think I connected with the people I connected with because there was something real and genuine in what yes. they were doing. You know, yeah. like one of the women who was at the party, Marissa, she's a yogi, but she's a, a thick yogi. You know, mm-hmm. she's a thick woman and she would post her headstands and her handstands. And, you know, she posted when she was starting to do it. And then you see her like achieve it. And I just I, I appreciated her vulnerability on social media and then the other woman kelly who was at the party kelly did hair care um she made products she has two little boys who are close in age and they kind of look like forrest and ennis oh my gosh and i and as i was following her i was like this is really spooky and she would put up pictures of her oldest son palmer and i would show it to my husband i'm like doesn't this look like forrest when he was little and then her her second son duke when duke was born duke was super super fair just like ennis so Mm -hmm. forrest was my chocolate baby and and this was my toasted coconut. And oh. that's Palmer and Duke. And Palmer has this really deep voice and Forrest had a deep. It was just it was like meant to be it was that just, you were supposed to be friends. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then we met in North Carolina because that's where she's from. And I was visiting and she came by my hotel and I got to meet her and meet the boys. And at the time she was married and her husband used to officiate wedding ceremonies And I randomly asked if he was interested in doing our 25th anniversary renewal. And he said, yes. So then that was really beautiful. They all came to, uh, to New York for that. So yeah, it's, yeah, I I like social media. There's parts of it I don't like, but for the most part, I like it. I think I figured out how to have it work for me. What does your husband think of it? Because anytime I think my husband's like getting like more comfortable with it but at first he was like if you put another picture of me <laughs> and our kid up 
And I was like, this is part of my job. This is like my magazine, right? It's great that I work for all these, I've worked for all these outlets, but Uh I'm like, this is my curated thing where I can show people who I am and my voice and my life. And the fact that I'm not just an editor, I'm like a sister and a daughter and a wife and a mom. Um, And now he's on Instagram. So I'm like, "Mm -hmm, look at you. But Gordon is more of a Facebook person than he is an Instagram. He Uh finally did get an Instagram account, but he's not on it often and I'm hardly ever on Facebook. I'm the exact opposite. I'm always on Instagram. He's he's okay with it because you know like I don't go too far with right. anything. So nothing has uh really bothered him. He actually likes that people get to see what he's known about me. Like yes. he knows that I can I can write from time to time that mm-hmm. I can be witty. So he likes that other people get to see that. I was about to ask you what do you want people to know about you that they might not know if they just know you as the entrepreneur and mm-hmm. you know that's or and maybe they don't follow you. Like what do you want people to know about you as like Lisa Price, not just Lisa Price of Carol's daughter? That I'm a person who's definitely flawed. Um, and always learning and, you know, learning from my mistakes and just in general, don't judge people because you think that they're something. Right. You know, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, not just read things about myself, but about other people. Oh, I saw her at such and such a place. Like somebody said in a, in a, something was posted about me from the brand and in the comments, someone said, I saw her once on fifth Avenue near Bergdorf's and she flipped me the bird. And I was like, the only person to whom I have ever flipped the bird (laughs) in my entire life is my husband. And it was jokingly, right. You know, like, you know what, how husbands and wives will irritate each other. And be like, come on. And, and I'll just say, really, really, that's how you feel (laughs) for real, you know? (laughs) Right. But that's the only person that I've ever done that to. So I know that this is not a true story, but I still kept wondering but what did I do? Like, I know I didn't flip the bird. Or they thought you were some other, like they saw another black (laughs) woman that looked, you know, because that's probably what it was. But yeah, like don't, don't believe things like that when you read them, because most of the time they didn't actually happen. Right. Right. (laughs) It just, you know, it's yeah. But I I was like, wait a sec. I almost wanted to write them back. Like, when was this? (laughs) I need receipts. What day, what time, what was the weather like? I don't flip the bird at people. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, I know you to be a lovely human being. And because Thank this is you. essence, as we wrap up, yes. I need to know, when did you know black was beautiful? Okay. Um, I knew you were going to ask this question and, and I don't know that the answer necessarily sounds like it, but when I was a kid, um, probably about 11 or 12, I heard a newscaster who was an African-American woman. um, Someone asked her about how she um, feels in the world as a woman and as an African-American woman. And like, which one does she identify with first? I believe Mm -hmm. was the question that they asked. And she said, well, I guess I identify with being a woman first because when I wake up in the morning and I'm laying in bed, I haven't looked in a mirror yet, so I don't necessarily know what color I am. And I thought, 
You don't? Really? Because <laughs> <laughs> when I wake up, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm black. Right. <laughs> Ditto. Mirror or no mirror. Ditto says. Um, <laughs> so I just thought that it was interesting that yeah. she had that that answer and that, you know, perspective. And there was something about hearing her say that and knowing at 11 or 12 then I know exactly who I am when right. I open up my eyes, whether I have a mirror or not. I know yeah. that I'm a woman and I know I'm black and mm-hmm. I don't know which one comes first because right. it just kind of together. It's the same. It's just it's right one there. And the same. Um, and I think that was an important moment for me in realizing that what someone thinks they know when they see you is always there. Like, you don't have to see me to know what I am. I know what I am sight unseen. Mm. And I think I recognize the power in knowing that at that moment. I love that. And I and I guess in a way that that's it is it is a beautiful thing to recognize that because I was about 11 or 12. But I was like, no, there's something to this because I know exactly who I am when I open up my eyes. This is beautiful and special. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Well, I think you're beautiful and special. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Lisa. Thank you. This is lovely. Thanks so much for listening, y'all. Be sure to catch other episodes of The Color Files with guests like Tracy Ellis Ross, Misty Copeland, Iman, and Sir John. You can find The Color Files on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. Let me know what you think of the show. Leave an Apple review, a comment, or just say hey to me on the gram. I'm at Miss Julie, M-I-S-S-J-U-L-E-E. And make sure to hashtag The Color Files. And I may read your comments on the air. Thanks so much. Talk soon.